0: Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another roundtable podcast with the Push Performance crew. We got Brandon Monahan. What's up, Taylor Davis? Hello, EE Strength. What's up, Noah Junis? What's up, guys? And then myself today. Ashton and Marky are here, but they're in the background. So
2: hello.
1: Um, today we got Joe Rosentine. Also, he's a normal podcaster now, regular. What's up? Coming live from Colorado. Uh, so yeah, today we'll talk about some conversations, uh Noah and I were having along with uh, Brendan the other day. Diving into pelvic positions, uh, orientations, all that kind of stuff on the mound and transfer in the weight room. How they present, them, how the athlete presents themselves. Um, last week we talked about some hitting stuff. This week we'll go back to some pitching stuff. So uh, Noah, let's start. What? question did you have to prompt this conversation that lasted about four days
3: <laughs> uh well it was it was right after an assessment uh with a college kid he came in did his strength assessment with taylor and then uh did the throwing assessment with me and p and dj are actually just out in the lounge eating lunch and taylor was taking him through his workout and uh we were just talking about different pelvic positions, kind of. Uh, I think you described it as, like, an AIC or mm-hmm, something like that. Left AIC. But,
1: uh, so his body, how his body was presenting himself. Right. It's a PRI term.
3: Yeah. So uh, I kind of wondered if different pelvis positionings uh, could maybe – could be some easy unlocks with a uh, mind uh, stride direction and uh, – Posture
1: rotation at front foot strike. Yeah, so that's that's where we were at there. Um, so Taylor, kind of explain what first of all we use on this kid's assessment, okay? And then we're gonna go from there. Um, then Brandon and I will kind of dive into the left AIC stuff if Brandon feels comfortable talking about that. Go um, a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty tough to understand. It's a posture restoration. It's a two term. Um, I'll get into that once Taylor talks about what he saw, um, and then why he's having issues on the mound, I guess.
2: Um, Yeah, so he came in, and first thing to kind of look at is posture. He's a left-handed pitcher, and so he's kind of depressed on that left side. Um, Just from looking at his shoulders and the height of his shoulders, he's slightly depressed on the left side. Um, A little bit depressed, yes. Um, And then looking at his hips, he had – so he – Front foot strike would be so he lands on his right leg and so his right hip had good internal rotation and then his left hip had bad internal rotation um i've been talking with austin a little bit as well and we've kind of found that a lot of pitchers when generally they're they have less internal hip internal rotation on one side will generally be of the hip and the foot that's on the mound um just because rarely kids have a hard time getting Getting into that back hip, but then they also don't kind of as no going off, they don't really play to their advantage. So, yeah, they do have that, um, that deficiency there in that hip, but then they also don't stride or in the right direction or stuff like that. They don't use that to their advantage.
1: Um, you, you said right shoulder was depressed, right? Left, left shoulder, was was left shoulder,
2: yeah, left handed, left shoulder depressed.
1: So, it'd be opposite, it'd be BC then, right? Right.
2: it was. It was left, hip
1: by left, our left, left, left hip hit by, by R? R? Okay. left hip by R, left by our left shoulder first. Yeah. So I thought he was right handed, so this changes a little bit.
3: Well, it was the me and Brandon talked about a different kid yesterday who was got gotcha. The left.
1: There's air. been a handful of kids that we've yeah. been talking about. Yeah. So yeah, he when when that happens, you see his his left his left shoulder is depressed, so his he's kind of rotated to the left essentially, which is weird because usually guys are rotated to the right most of the time, right?
0: In the trunk, or in the trunk,
1: I mean, in, the, in, in, the the pel- in the pelvis, in the pelvis, and then their trunk is rotating the opposite direction to make sure they don't spin around in circles when they walk. Yeah. Okay, so think about taking that, you know, from the from the floor up, and then the the top to the bottom. Okay, you have your pelvis, you have your femur, you have your thorax. Okay, and if any of those are malaligned, what's going to happen on the mound? We're going to lose.
3: Yeah, you just
1: lose posture. Lose lose posture immediately. And we have seen guys just naturally lose posture, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's pretty common. Very common. Like some common uh, flaws we see are a trunk dump or hip hike, hike, which is a pattern like we see here. Um, Lack of scap retraction because of a pattern we see here. So if he's depressed and rolled forward, he's not going to be able to get into scap retraction. Think about that, Right. So if his thorax is tilted and he's or his clavicles, you know, depressed, he's gonna probably have some humeral anterior drive, right, and living into IR already, Brandon, mm-hmm. and then he'll lose scap retraction that way.
3: Yeah, and then another thing that I saw on the mound, uh, just from staying behind him and watching him throw, is he he never gets on plane because he's his left shoulder's dumped so far forward, and so depressed that his elbow literally never gets up to shoulder height. So he's just losing energy by not being on plane with his elbow
2: and his shoulder.
1: And coming off the assessment, Taylor, I mean, do you think it's coming from the top or the bottom?
2: I think it's kind of, one, it could be coming away. I mean, we don't know exactly what he's been doing before. We don't know what kind of lifting he was doing, what kind of throwing he was doing, if they were looking to make this change or if they were almost trying to, I don't know why they, but they like trying to feed into what he was already doing. Um, so it kind of comes down also to like what he's been doing. Um, but I would say kind of like, you got to look at the hips and stuff the hips are rotated and the trunk will be rotated as well. And then it just kind of feeds off of each other. Um, so just trying to figure out kind of where to start and kind of which, which direction we want to go pushing forward and also blending into like what Noah's doing as well.
1: Yeah. So, Going off of that, where his thorax is, he's going to be pretty compressed, right? Um, how is his pelvis? Is it wide? Is it narrow?
2: Pretty, uh, pretty narrow. Pretty narrow? Yeah.
1: So he's already living in the intern rotation. So um, off of that, he probably needs – like he probably can't get into hip extension well, can he? Um, no. So – that is because his pelvis isn't allowing him to do that. Does he does he foot strike on his toe? Yes. So lack of, sorry, lack of internal rotation and hip extender, lack of hip extension, is not allowing him to heel strike, right? So yeah. that is not, which I think we need heel strike, yeah, in, right?
3: I mean, definitely, definitely flat or heel first is is better.
1: Yeah. I mean that when you're on so
3: your you're just delaying that transfer of energy and allowing the trunk to leak open.
1: Yep, and that allows to you to produce more force. Yep, right. So your joint structure matters, you know. Um, so usually, when the the left side or the right side is depressed, the other side isn't. It's, you know, it has what it what it needs and needs what it has. So, um, what's the co- most common fix, Brandon, that you're going to see to help somebody like this?
0: Uh, I think you basically, you have to one, kind of figure out which way they're kind of biasing to, are they going to be favoring the internal or the external? Um, And then you want to restore basically just trying to get the ribs to stack over that pelvis. Um, You can really try and hammer away with, you know, all the little corrective exercises I put in quotations um, you want, but if you don't really give them the um, feeling to how they're actually going to use the muscles um, and performance, it's not going to really get the adaptation that you're really desiring. Uh, so, like we kind of talked about it, like on one of our week one podcasts about how, like, you know, training an adductor and abductor muscle um, with like a mini band is, you know, one way to possibly do something. But there's also a lot of other ways um, that will give you a lot more bang for your buck. So, with an athlete that is having just you know, pretty noticeable patterns in just posture means there is definitely uh, some compensations going on. So you definitely have to figure out where the first or second level compensation is coming from. And then kind of almost like an onion, have to kind of go layer by layer down to that, that base level compensation. Um, and then once you kind of get to there, then you can kind of see um, what the pelvis is really doing on a, on a deeper level and then once you get to that, then you can really then get into the, the nitty gritty of, all right, restoring IR on one side or ER on the other. Um, but you know, it's, there's not going to be really one direct way to do it. You're just going to have to kind of either work at the pelvis or at the rib cage, rib cage on that thorax there. Um, either start with pump handle if it's more pump handle, or if it's going to be uh, possibly a little bit of bucket handle restoration on the lower rib cage. But
1: yeah, I mean some I see a lot too is like a cervical spine issue there. Yeah. Right. Um so he's probably needing some kind of I would probably guess expansion on that back side.
0: Yeah, if he's narrow on the he's front. If he's narrow
1: on the front, then he's, gonna he's need, probably expanded on the back. Yeah, he's gonna need he's gonna be need that expansion on the front side to get air into the pec area. Yeah. And that's going to allow him to set his posture a little bit better. Yeah. Um, it's the same
3: thing with the kid that we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday was
1: a pretty true
0: left AICBC pattern. Yeah, this, yeah. his hips are really shifted to the right, at a really elevated left clavicle, um, elevated trap um, on the left side. He was definitely right pelvis turned with a, a left torso. This is when
1: we see a lot of obliques happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, they have a whole
0: belief sitting rib cage.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot they they going off another conversation with yesterday. Mm-hmm. Guys can't really slow down well. They just continue to rotate, especially a left-handed pitcher biasing that way. Yep. he's gonna he probably yanks the ball a lot. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I mean we literally had the conversation about one of our big league guys yesterday. Exactly. Uh just yeah, uh not using those decelerators and uh you're you're just going to get injured eventually.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's yeah, look at it as like uh, one side's compressed, one side's expanded, right? And then that's kind of how the diaphragm wants to work. Um, naturally there's asymmetrical patterns going on, mm-hmm. you know? You have more stuff on the right side of your yeah. body than you do on the left. Your diaphragm dome's bigger on the right than it is on the left. So, <laughs> you want to make sure that you want to make sure that they're able to dominate the position but also breathe through that position. You know I mean? That's why Taylor, you're probably going to program some ISOs for him and stuff, right? Um, And if he can't breathe in through those proper patterns, he doesn't own that pattern we shouldn't progress, right? So, uh, you know, things that we need to look at too is like how often is he turning on that pec, right? Is he heavily, you know, when he does his reaching exercises, is he squeezing that pec? Is he compressing that pec, right? Um, Which he probably is. You know, so you say something.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's we just, um, you know, that's where the inverted position, making sure his, you know, chest is parallel with the ground and upside down is really going to help with that, that anterior expansion. Just basically, you know, manipulate the environment to get the adaptation that you're looking for, uh, put them in a position to succeed, basically, without having to do a lot of like over coaching or over um, especially when it comes to breath work. Yeah. Um. You know, you start just throwing out tons and tons of breathing cues, guys are just going to kind of forget, you know, the very first step you told them when you're on step eight of the breathing. Yeah. Um. So, you know, just basically you put them in positions that you want and then just kind of let their body kind of self-orientate and kind of figure it out from there. And usually if they're doing it right, they're going to get kind of like the power shakes or um, they're really going to really kind of start feeling it and noticing it on their own. And that's And that's what you ultimately need. Yeah. You need them to feel it and kind of see what you're trying to explain to them because you know, you can coach and cue and explain all you want, but they're the ones that ultimately have to kind of feel what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, for sure. And in uh, and, and, and this instance, he has a compressed pelvis, so he needs to get some extra rotation, so he needs some glute work, right? Mm-hmm. And going back to what you, you guys said is, like, you don't want to do mini band walks. You don't want to do all this kind of other stuff. You want to get the hamstrings and the psoas to work together mm-hmm. to drive the, hum- the humerus. G, Sorry. <laughs> the, the pelvis to the neutrals neutral in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, position, you know, um Joe, we had that conversation the other day in Colorado about one of our guys, you know, yeah, you know, we the... do, we do with one side, you know, on, you know, we don't need to program both sides. One kid might be doing like a rear foot elevated split squat on one side and a front foot elevated split squat on the other side. Right. Just because of a pattern he needs. Exactly. Yeah. The importance of the SOAS is, impeccable,
4: especially when it comes to in season and being able to reestablish neutral positions and regain full range of motion, especially through the pelvis, because it's such if it tightens up, you're going to be in lumbar extension and you're going to be stuck in IR in the hip. Okay, so there's your deficiency. How do we correct it? Okay, well, first, we need that to relax. And then we need to learn and relearn how to use it properly. Everything in your thorax, your stomach, it's just a pile of internal organs with some controlling muscle around it. So learning to control those muscles to reset positions is really key, especially in season and heavy training um, periods during the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to think of where the psoas connects, right? It's like the inferior thoracic area, you know? Yeah, le- lesser yeah. trochanter, um, and then, I mean, T12 through. L4. Yes, yeah, so like the lower T spine and then obviously on the on the on the femur, you know, and the biggest thing like if you look at what mu- muscle actions do and why they do what they do, what their actual actions are, I mean, it's pretty easy to do, right? You know, like it's a lot of guys say I have weak psoas or my psoas is overactive, blah blah blah, and people just say go foam roll and mash the shit out of it. But in turn it's actually like just not able to, like, there's no motor control to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there's just not the ability to be used, you know? And that's when, you know, instead of stretching it, it's already long enough. So, like, if you think about the pelvic orientation this kid has, if he's already stretched into anterior pelvic tilt, right, he's going to be posterior pelvic tilt? Anterior, I said <laughs> there Yeah, anterior pelvic tilt, um, you know, it's going to be lengthened out. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um, shortened and shortened up on the other side and like lengthened out on the other side and shortened on the other side like I said earlier if he's turned one one short one's long right how are we going to bias that how are we going to fix that so um going on on that note like you can see his knees caving in yep. right and then his his knee like below his knees his tib needs extra, extra. Infib, fib or extra rotation he pronates a lot right taylor yeah so you know <laughs> so he so, you, you, I mean, so he's going to find that external rotation and internal rotation in any way possible, you know. Um, it's just managing how we do it. I know this is a con- kind of a complex conversation a little bit, but, like, we're trying to bring a light. Like, there's so many different ways to train so many different things, and um, everybody's different, you know. Like, just because he's a left-handed pitcher, he doesn't need to do the same shit, yeah. you know. Um, there might
3: be another left-handed pitcher who's, you know, the – exact opposite or not the exact opposite but maybe he's uh maybe he's elevated on his left side or yeah. uh, it just depends on you know what what all he's done as a kid and, uh, patterns are ingrained in, in kids from a pretty young age you know like kids start playing baseball now at four five six years old whatever uh, and you know they get coached a certain way so those patterns show up when they come to us at 15, 16, 18, 19, whatever. And uh, we got to do what we can to get them back to, you know, as close to, you know, say neutral, I guess, as we can. Which we'll never hit. We'll never
1: get rid of their asymmetries, let's be honest, you know. And that's also what might might make them a good baseball player.
3: And that's the the point that we – that I had, I guess, of the whole conversation was to – play into their strengths. So uh you know he has he has good IR of his of his lead hip so maybe if we we start on the for left do we start on the uh the, the first base side of the rubber. Uh get him to strike across himself a little bit, play into that IR lead hip.
1: For sure. Absolutely. Uh more
3: um, force absorption of
1: the team. Yeah don't I mean Force absorption is the number one thing, but like if you think about how his foot's pronated, then he's externally rotated, and internally rotated, right? And his pelvis is off, like you're already losing velocity from the floor up. Yeah. Right. So structure, structure is dictated by function. Function is dictated by, dictated by structure, excuse me. Right. So if you can't stack the thorax over the pelvis, first and foremost, you know, we need to take a big step back.
3: Which he has a huge problem with, I put it right in his player development
1: plan. Lose uh, loses trunk set. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a, a byproduct of, I'm guessing, from the floor up, right? You know, um, so it's like he's pronated on his foot, which is great. Everybody needs to pronate when they walk, but then he goes into external rotation, internal rotation, and then a, 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 high, a hit hike. You know what I mean? So there's no way the thorax is going to stay stacked on top of that. Um, so this comes
3: back to like something that I like to preach to is like mastering that first move. So like, you know, light, the light kick and the pitching delivery might not look like a big deal or seem like a big deal, but, uh, there is a lot of stuff that happens that kind of is like the first domino to fall on the pitching delivery. So we're we'll yeah. working with the high
1: school kid on that right now. Yeah. Right. Is, you know, a bang on these kids really good. A bang on him is his delivery and his late kick yep. or lack thereof. You know,
3: so yeah. I mean, it's uh, if you can't master that first domino, then everything else is going to be fucked up and yeah. all Not athletic. You're yeah. like shit and have thirty no delivery.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not talking about anybody in particular, but <laughs> um, so what's going to go with that? It's. I mean, it's kind of important to know how to fix these things. And when you, the best way for us, Brandon, you and I can talk about this is, and Taylor. What, how are we gonna get that that thorax to stay stacked, right? What positions are we gonna get them in? This we we talked about this a couple. Even Joe, you can chime in on this. Like we talked about, like episode one or two, maybe, you know, like some sideline mm-hmm. positions, some prone positions. Um, we came up with an exercise for one of our guys, with a in a prone row position in a bear crawl, mm-hmm. right? Um, that the, just to keep that stacked pelvis over the thorax. But what if they physically can't do it? What are we going to do?
0: That's just when you have to get creative. You know, that's when, as a coach, that's where, you know, you kind of earn your money in a sense. And that's why the athletes are coming to you is because that's where you have to really, like I said earlier, manipulate the environment, uh, get creative, and put the athlete in the positions that, that they need to get into and really let them feel it. Um, and that's just where, you know, your experience reaching out to others that maybe have a little bit more experience with working somebody like in that exact pattern or showing those deficiencies. Um, but yeah, you just, you have to get creative and, you know, you have to be patient with the athlete as well. Cause you know, you can't expect them to just get something the first time in the door, um, and let them know that, you know, this is going to be a little bit of, you know, probably a process It's not going to happen, you know, right away, but when it does, it will be noticeable um so yeah i think you just have to you have to get creative um try and get them in the most desired positions that you know you're looking for and you know that they need and um you know let them let them you know succeed and also fail too. you know let them let them feel it and then also same with them, us as a
1: coach right oh yeah, no, exactly and we're this, gonna program something but we also have to re-intervene and say all right like let's work let's check and, all right this didn't work like one of our 90 our, 90 uh, breaches yesterday we were messing around was it Me and Jordan. Me and Jordan. Jordan's not here. You know, We're messing around with it, trying to get internal rotation, right? Mm -hmm. And mine drops straight to the floor, and yours was kind of just not there, but you're doing the exercise wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Not knowing it, right? So it's so important that we coach the athlete through those positions and knowing why. Like, if we don't know what proper movement looks like in the first place or what muscles are involved or how it's working, why it's working, how are we going to coach it? You know, and you know how are we gonna program? You know what's the word? Corrective exercises per se when we have no idea why they have that knee valgus going on, or they're externally rotated in their tib, or whatever maybe. You know what I mean? What muscles are driving what? You know what's the adductor doing? What's the glute max doing? What's what's all this stuff doing? You know, Um, you know. So we see so many guys and so many coaches and. Athletes just try and work through stuff, you know, just bang like stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, or foam roll, foam roll, foam roll, foam roll. There's gotta be a lot of tools in your toolbox as a coach for sure, you know. And going, you know, learning what we've been learning lately is like you can manipulate a lot of stuff through breath, you know. When you're when you're inhaling, you're biasing external rotation, when you're exhaling, you're biasing internal rotation. And you know, you wanna how can we Gain different road, different ranges of motion that way. You know, looking at the body as a whole, as a movement, as you walk, as you run, as you throw. You know, um, you know it's just not saying stay connected to the rubber anymore. No. It's like you know, why why is he coming off the rubber and why is he toe striking? Right, it's it goes a long way. It's come a long way. It goes you know?
3: right back to what what you guys see in your assessments. That's what yeah. that's what separates us. Is that. Yeah we're always in communication and we're, we're working towards that same common goal of communicating almost every day on, you know, a particular athlete and uh, just being on the same page and working towards those goals together to get moving better because, I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? I mean, oh, for sure. That's all we're doing is trying to train better. <coughs> Sorry.
2: Which
3: means to, you know, higher velocity, more spin, uh, more consistent command on the um, mound. In, in my case. For
1: sure. I mean, I fallen fallen you know short of it as a coach, like where I was just like, all right, get on the bar, and get strong. Like it's gonna play. You know? But at the same time, like I was looking at some numbers today, some of our big league guys, majority, actually every single one, minus like one guy, his VLO numbers have gone up. You know, which is pretty sweet over the over the course of the year. And I was talking to one of them this morning over text. and was like, "Yeah, I think it's more so the movement quality versus the strength." Yeah. You know, which I totally agree. But at the same time, you need to have that strength base. Yeah. You know, so. Um, as, if, far
3: as, uh, as far as as far as in season goes, you think that, like like you said, it's more uh, more about keeping those good movement patterns in grand than uh, necessarily building strength.
1: Well. At the same time, your movement quality is based on your strength capabilities. But
3: like in season, isn't it more maintaining, and then in great? No, not, not
1: necessarily. I think we always want to chase strength. chase strength, okay. right? But we also know we got to know who's strong enough at that point, and now we're not going to let them break down. Okay, you know what I mean? Um, I think the number one false seed false profit bullshit thing is know stop training in season but also on the end of the spectrum like crush weight in season too yeah. right we gotta know where each athlete's at compared to like what we're just talking about. If, if the athlete's compressed, we gotta know that. But at the same time if the athlete's weak, we gotta know that. Right.
0: Well and I think it also I think we were we were talking about it yesterday after one of your assessments too where you know you're gonna see something posture wise um on a guy but then also you have to know what they're doing on the performance side that makes them so great. So like one of the assessments you did was on a pitcher yesterday that does not have a traditional delivery, just leave it at that. A um, little different delivery. So we saw a few things in his rib cage. And then also he had some kind of stuff within the neck, but it's just like those few things are allowing him to be really, really, really good at what he does on the Mount. So at the same time, it's like now in the gym, you don't want to necessarily take all those away from him now either because then now that might maybe start making some mechanical differences to the mound. And now that might take him out of what makes them really, really good. So that's where you have to also know what that athlete does or how that athlete does what he does per se on the performance yeah. side
1: and know what to fix. Right. So yeah. I got into the question. You guys heard me. You two heard me. It was like, all right, I, I can see like you're, you're you got that forward head posture going on still. Do you think that's helping or inhibiting you? And he's like, well, I get really tight through here you know, through his, like, upper back area. I said, well, I can see why. Like everything's pulling, right? So that's something we would want to fix, right? Yeah. But his shift shifted thoughts in the position he throws allows him to get where he gets, right? So how are we going to fix the forward head posture, right, without fixing the thorax completely? You know, that's where it comes into play, right? That might be some basic fine connects, you know, you know, for posture, um, get some compression and expansion on both sides, right? So it stays level, but his head's in a better position. Um, what else did I have him do? What other exercises? Let's see, some some hip shifts so we can get the glute to kick on. It's more some more external rotation on one side. Um so we just wanted to make sure why we're doing it, but I didn't I asked him too, because he's been doing our program all year. What do you want me to change in your A block? He goes, I literally don't want you to change anything. I feel awesome. Granted, he has like a 0. 0.53 or 43 ERA right now, you know. But, you know, like how do we know when to mess with stuff? But if he, if he's going to keep him healthy, like fixing that head forward head posture and let, get rid of some stiffness and tightness on a chronically hypermobile person, I'm going to do that. You know what I mean? So, and then we can just manipulate that through basic breathing patterns, you know, without, you know, keeping, without over overhauling his entire strength program where we're still doing unilateral trunk till blah, 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 whatever, you know, we're doing with him, right? The basic concepts. I'm not going to change. I mean, I don't know if you change guys programs or you, Joe, over the course of the season. Like I, sometimes I go six, six weeks without touching the program, you know, um, just be, just because it's, you think you should change it after three or four weeks doesn't mean you should it's working, right? What happens when you change something in season, the guy's going to get hella sore, Right. And all of a sudden you can't throw or whatever, you know, so there's gotta be a reason to rhyme to reason on that for sure. I mean, Joe, what do you got on that? Yeah. in season's such a tricky game.
4: Um, on one end of the spectrum, like when you don't change, you don't want athletes to become disengaged or bored with their program. But if it's working, why would you change it? Right. We're trying to set athletes up to be an optimal performance when their body's already there,
1: why change it? Yeah, I think I think going just like just because he's off a little bit or a lot of it, and he's having a lot of success, and he's never hurt. Like we got to know, we got to know. Like for us, working with the big league population, we're able to work with is keep them on the field. Number one, number one, right? Allow them to be great. You know, we went to the game last night and working with a kid for. Shit, man, ten years, and got to see him throw, and his, his basketball velocity's going up. Ten year, nine year big leaguer, you know, eight year big leaguer, whatever he is. That's yeah, pretty cool. And he's missed maybe three starts his whole career ever being injured. You know, it's just knowing what guys need, what they feel, what they want. You know, um, let's go back to that some science conversation though. I'm do that. Yeah. All right. Um, for Taylor, you're not really talking a lot today.
2: I'm learning, <laughs> listening, and learning.
1: Um, so, Noah, what what are the deficiencies that you've seen develop throughout the course of the year?
3: Like in season. In season, yeah. Um, a lot of the a lot of the postural stuff that we kind of just talked about. Uh, since you guys were talking about like the. The tight so as uh, getting guys into lumbar extension. Uh, you see a lot of guys in the season go on bio for like low back tightness or, or something like that. Like I feel like that's got to be one of the most common things. Like in spring training and uh, beginning of the year, like we are right now, uh, is like a, a low back something. Yeah, and it, it comes from like what you guys just said. Uh, just losing that posture and. Uh, getting back to that tilted position and uh, not being able to hold that down
1: and on. Well, now we can look at guys' metrics throughout the course of the year. And if those are changing on the track man or yeah. whatever, what are they using now in baseball? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. If the, the Hawkeye is changing, their data is changing, like we can jump in like, all right, we know that their vertical breaks are losing lateral flexion, right? so getting more lateral flexion but knowing how to do that right so losing lateral flexion might just be the fact that they have a more more space or on one side less space on the other obviously but just breathing out of it right Brendan, where you can expand the diaphragm depre- decompressive diaphragm right yeah, you just
0: gotta you gotta control your pressures and your gases um, being able to like you said get out of you know be able to compress one side the extension on the other and then be able to transfer it, um, and then yeah, especially on the extreme side of the spectrum,
3: right? So like like we're the guy we were talking about earlier, who's extreme, one way might be, uh kind of like an extreme, over the top guy. Like both of those require extreme amounts of trunk flexion.
1: Yeah, and on the other on the other end, how often do we do we see guys lose external rotation in season? Not very often, right? Never. Never. Right.
0: If anything, they probably, will probably gain yeah, energy. they'll gain
1: extra. But with, when you when you exactly when you gain it, right, you're gonna lose internal rotation. Yeah. Right. When you lose internal rotation, what do you lose? You lose that deceleration component. You lose obviously the capability of staying healthy. Probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to talk about total arc? Like how much of that is real versus fake? Right. 180 degrees total arc. By the way. Just, in depth, but um, you know, that could be just ribcage position, right? Which is uh, hyperactive erectors, for example. Okay, the ribcage flare out, yeah.
3: So it could be like flared versus yeah, compressed.
1: Dropped. Yeah, we talked about a guy that was super compressed. Now we'll talk about a guy that's flared, like you know, guys dumped into flared. He has his erectors are hyperactive, right? Which is obviously pulling his hamstrings, pulling his pelvis, you know, so he's losing range of motion that way. You can literally just try and like arch your back and then try and go into lay back into IR. You're going to lose range of motion, you know, but just basic restorative patterns are going to help with getting, you know, getting that, like, why are we, what's, what's the rhomboid going to do in extra rotation, right? How are we going to transfer that from that's if rhomboids tight? Like it's getting stretched too much. Actually, it's not tight, right? It's weak. So he's tighter on the other side. Let's just bounce that out a little bit. So you get rid of that tightness. You know what I mean? Brandon, what do you got on that?
0: Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, you, you got to know whether you're dealing with somebody that's either narrow and compressed, or they're going to be really concentric oriented on the front, uh, or are they going to be really wide and expanded on the front and be really concentric oriented and, on the back? Um, and,
1: you and you can then, see that too, right? With with guys, I, I infrasternal angle presentations. If they're if they're wide ISA, they're going to be really compressed on the back, and their scaps are going to be kind of pinchy, like military posture, kind of, right? Yeah. So like you just said, like or like what I said earlier is like, if you have it on one side, you need it on the other, you know? Um, so,
3: yeah. So in that, in that case, so wide, wide, I say uh, you'd be compressed in the back. Yep. So you would need compression on the front and you need expansion yep. on the back.
1: Yep. So then but something that
3: resonated with me uh, when we were talking about it the other day is the. Or yesterday,
1: I guess, uh, was the water bottle thing. I yeah, guess, okay. yeah. I learned that. We learned that basic knowledge. But Connor Harris was talking about that, where you take a water bottle. I don't have. You know, you take a water. Uh, no, nobody can see me. You take a water bottle. It's like that's somebody that where all your guts and your pressures and gases go downward, wow. right? Mm-hmm. So that's somebody that would have, um, and you know, a really narrow. I'd say you put them in that position to create space, yeah. right? And then vice versa, you flip them over right? You're going to go the other way. It's going to create space in the backside, yep. you know, so prone and supine. Um, you know, your humorous usually compensates in, in the external rotation or, or sorry, in internal rotation when you're uh, wide, right? So, um, you know, all that, like, like you just said is just getting guys in better positions. If we're losing those things, just get them in a better position in their pregame routine or pre-throw routine. Know if it's a prone position or supine position, right?
3: And you have the whole basis of my training, right?
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah. You're you're telling them to hold their positions there, and we're telling them just to lay down on their belly or lay down on their back. You know, and it's just like this is going to change the way you move and regain ranges of motion, you know, that way. And gain strength. And and gain strength, yeah. Um, You know, limited internal rotation, like who's a what? Who's a wide pitcher that we see, like a wide ISA in the big leagues? Not none of our guys. You have think on top of your head? I can't really think of a wide guy. Joe? One of our guys or a wide a ISA, wide ISA overall? What's that? Maybe.
0: It's hard
1: to, it's hard to think You're of a wide,
3: right?
1: Well, you can tell by the body presentation, though. For sure. Bartolo. Bartolo Cologne. Oh,
3: that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, you know?
1: So, like, on the opposite side, the narrows, we see a lot of those guys. You know? Majority of the good pitchers are narrows, and that's because they're able to produce more force. Right, Ryan?
0: Yeah. They're more compressed, and they usually just, you know, they're better at rotating. Yeah. And pitching's a pretty – High demand for rotation and your body favors it, then you're probably going to do pretty well at it.
1: If you look at most baseball players, not just pitchers, they're more narrow, slender guys. Not slender, but I mean they're more narrow framed. Yeah. Right. And it's like the best player in the world, Mike Trout. Right. I mean, he's he's pretty bulky. Like I mean, wide.
3: And Pablo Sandoval.
1: Pablo okay. Sandoval. Yeah. Like, Mike Trout. Yeah, he's a linebacker. You doing know, doing but.
2: Yeah, I want to say
4: Lucas Giolito for a yeah. wide ISA because his external – if you look at his it, just arm path, I mean, to get more external rotation, he needs more flexion in his elbow. Yeah. But I've never seen him with a shirt off, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah I mean, the
1: wider guys, which is crazy because they absorb force better, but they don't produce force as much. They don't rotate as well. But look what Mike Trout does. Like that's that's crazy.
3: I think it's I think it's just because he creates and absorbs it in such a short window that it's like uh he's
1: like, like in a little box yeah, and then like you just like let him out. All the, all
3: like the ball that just transfers really quickly up the chain. Yeah. Into the ball.
1: I mean i, I just think it's interesting. We've talked before. You know, why, why do we see more hard-throwing right-handers than we do left-handers, although the left-handers rotate better? I mean, so they it's more narrow.
0: Uh, I mean, I would probably say it's just because they can be stung as well as the righties. So these, when they land left foot strike, left hip is usually more prone to compression, so producing force. So a righty, once they hit on that left foot, is able to propel probably a little bit more or more directional, or harder, I guess, propel, get more energy off that left hip. And that probably allows him to handle a little bit more, more below or late arms, be there um, acceleration through the ball where the lefty, if they're real spinny and too rotational, then they maybe have to spend a little bit more effort trying to slow down the trunk versus actually just being able to accelerate through the ball at, at release.
1: For sure. And we see that on the hitting side, right? Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, those guys are elite rotators, elite hitters, Right. And I would say majority of their home runs are pull side, majority of them, right? That's just be, excuse me. That's because they rotate well that way, right? But you know what? With the rotation, like they gotta learn how to stop, and that's why you see some injuries with some guys. You know. Um, also, Judge,
3: Judge is like one of the biggest guys. It's like over rotates. Yeah. Yep. Obvious yep. Injury, oblique. Yep stuff like that. He's like big over rotator, never stops. Yeah. He's dealt with no bleed for a long time.
1: For sure. I mean, your body naturally wants to rotate to the right. No matter what, just because like we talked earlier, you have more guts, more stuff on the right side of your body. Right. So you always favor that right hip, that right shoulder, that right rotation, you know? So I think personally, what's that say, John? New York Yankees, Aaron judge, Place on 10-day high with oblique. Is that today?
4: Uh, no, this is in April of oh.
1: 2019. But yeah. he's had oblique issues throughout his career. I know.
3: He's had multiple
0: oblique issues.
1: Yeah. What was I saying about rotating for Joe interrupting me? Uh,
0: we get ready to go into about a righty and a lefty rotating fishing.
1: Um, oh, so personally – it could be the fact that there's a bigger sample size of right-handed throwers versus left-handed throwers. True, yeah. right? Yeah, there's definitely more of them. Right? But yeah. honestly, like, the big league lefties, they throw gas. Chapman throws 100, yeah. right? <coughs> Jeez, sorry. <laughs> Got COVID. Uh, um, you know, so it's like – I think the sample size is a little too small still, but – In our gym, like how many lefties do we have? We have quite a bit, you know. We have, but majority of our hard throwers are right-handed.
3: Yeah, on the top ten, are any left-handed? I don't think so. Higgins, Higgins, yeah.
1: Yeah, Higgins, yeah, and he's big. He's not a narrow. He's not a narrow lefty.
3: Big dumb ox. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big boy.
1: You know, and he moves well now. Yeah. You know. Um, so how about you guys? What do you see in our gym, our facility there? Definitely the harder throwers um, come from the right side.
4: Um, I've noticed more external rotation issues in lefties.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Um, well, let's talk about, brands. let's talk about, it's like some humeral rhythm stuff when the, throwing, when the throwing pattern. Joe, we talked about this before. Um, when guys can't really rotate, no, we were talking about this other day. Guys shrug, mm-hmm. okay, Getting in their trap, okay. So we had one of our guys we tested yesterday. Thank God, it was clean again. Over the off season, was dog shit, right? He's super tight, bound, bounded up to the right. Usually, when I see somebody shrug; it's a lack of IR, yeah. right? That's fine. Yeah, it's his way of finding, finding it. So, um. About what the serratus does, it's going to upper rotate, next externally rotate the, the the humerus, right, or abduct ab, the humerus. Um, so when you see a lot of guys say, hey, like yeah, get that serratus, get that serratus," but it's so hard to actually find the serratus activation, like in in a movement. Like, you know, wall slides, guys, you know, botch that a lot. You know, um, bear crawls, guys, botch that a lot. You know, what are we going to do to kind of fix that shrugging pattern essentially when you, what you see, Brandon,
2: uh, you got it. Uh, I was going to say that the biggest thing that I see when athletes like shrugging stuff is that they don't know how to move their scap onto the ribcage to allow
1: that. To yeah. That's a, that yeah, That's kind of what we we're talking about. Like yeah. Concave convex relationship, yeah. right? For so being that scap to set better. But like, how are we going to get to that point? How are we, this, the scap to do its job around the thorax? Joe, go ahead. Reestablish flexion of the thoracic spine. So how are we going to reestablish flexion of the thoracic spine?
4: Breathing. Um, You know, any kind of flexion breathing where you can drive into external rotation with a horizontally abducted humerus. um, And then, you know, really drive your breath, you know, from T1 through generally T6 to T8 is really going to help reestablish flexion keeping and maintaining spinal control throughout the season, you know, guys like to fall into extension because the primary part of the delivery you're spending in thoracic extension, you know, that's when the most force is really on the spine is when you're rotating in extension. Um, so they fall into that pattern and they just hold that pattern and then they come in here and they can't reestablish flexion. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, it, yeah, you gotta look at that. And then also, um look at their, their starting orientation and where that, that restriction of the ribcage is really coming from. Um, you know, are they, you know, you look at their crossbody test, their abduction as well. And then that'll also show you is that compression on the anterior side of the upper ribcage, or is that more of a posterior um, compression on the back side of the ribcage underneath the, the scapula? So that could maybe even be the, the subscapularis there. Um, could be more of just the actual rotator the upper, the teres, the minors. Um, but yeah, you want to see if that's, if that's really concentrically orientated, um, then you're obviously want to create expansion there and get those, those muscle fibers at a, a, eccentric position and then get the breathing work in there. So that way the airflow is actually getting in there. Um, they're going to be able to get that, um, that feeling of actually that space in there. So that way they're going to be able to get that, 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 that range of motion restored basically. Um, so you basically just want to figure out exactly where the, the compression's at, where they're not getting the movement. Usually
1: with IR, sorry, usually with IR um you lose expansion anteriorly like mm-hmm. you said and inferiorly mm-hmm. right it's like t5 to t7
0: yeah usually it's uh more more pump handle
1: pump yep. yeah so you're they can't really see us but like this way yeah
0: it's basically the ribs like right on your your sternum
1: yep um joe i know you messed up but you want to talk about what you just messed up on
4: uh yeah. Uh, when regaining flexion through breathing patterns, instead of being in horizontal abduction, we want to be in horizontal abduction. There you go. I know you.
1: That's there a, you go. That. <laughs> um. So then, same thing though, right? Granted, a guy comes in, shuts down for six weeks, seven weeks. They lose ER now, right? We do the the opposite, right? We're gonna get posterior inferior expansion five to seven t5 to t7 right um so just knowing what your body needs why it needs it what goes with what is going to inhibit growth right ranges of motion you know you know allow them to have more success and allow them to be on the field you know um so Going off of the internal rotation, I know we're going long today, sorry, but internal rotation stuff, Brandon, like that's something that we've seen a lot of, right? Guys are already in internal rotation, but we say we need it. Like, what's going on? What's going on with that? Like, if the guy has 40 degrees or 30, 20 degrees of internal rotation, but he has an anterior rolled humerus and you can already see he's already in internal rotation, what are we going to chase?
0: So I think that's, that's where you have to kind of like look at the, the real starting point of, you know, where their starting orientation, you know, at the pelvis, then the rib cage, and then the shoulder itself. And, you know, you want to see how far along that spectrum they are. Are they completely all the way to that so dumped internal position where now you can't get somewhere where you're already at? Or are they cheating to internal rotation to kind of achieve it because they can't get it, but they still have a little bit of rom to work with and now you just need to kind of clean it up a little bit again like with some breath work get a little bit of expansion on that anterior side to um, kind of recorrect that muscle tone or that orientation to get a little bit more eccentric on the front side and get the concentric back on that posterior side to kind of almost get that shoulder girdle back in a little bit more natural state or neutral state yeah Um, but yeah so it's just Yeah, it just kind of just depends on the athlete itself and um, how far on that spectrum they are. Are they so internally rotated and compensated to where, yeah, now they they don't have any more internal rotation because they're already completely just living in it. And you actually have to probably go the extreme other way and actually restore some ER to get that IR back. Or are they kind of halfway in that spectrum to where it's like, yeah, they're cheating IR because it's harder for them to get to it. But they still need to work on it, obviously, because that's why they're cheating it.
1: Exactly. I mean, same thing with like their femur and their pelvis, right? We get them supine on the on the table for our, our tests, right? But we're involving flexion flexors and extensors on the table, you know. So if they're already if they're lacking if they're already presented in IR with like a IR internally rotated uh, femur, and they don't have internal rotation, you know, we're we're we gotta determine like do they truly need it or are they already there? You know what I mean? So I think that's where we got to prescribe an exercise and then retest right away. That's kind of the most important thing instead of just prescribing the exercise and then hoping for the best and not going back to it. It's like I I pull guys on the floor all the time. Just like if they're doing an exercise, all right, let's retest and make sure it works. Didn't work. Take it out of the program, you know, put something else in, you know what I mean? So being able to just adjust on the fly and I think reassessing on the fly on certain situations like this is huge. And then going then to send them Noah's way to throw, right? Um, if they're if he's not seeing better better IR or ER capabilities or trunk flexion or stability or posture or whatever, right? We're not doing we're not doing our job essentially. I think retest. felt I mean, like
4: it, it
3: could also just be a, a motor control thing. Yeah. Like on the mound, he literally just doesn't have the motor control to do such a dynamic movement. Within you know that that position that you guys are putting in men kind of statically.
1: Yeah, and I think that's up to us coaches to regress stuff. Yeah. You know, Taylor, you regress guys a lot, right? Um, I mean, also, like, how do we keep guys from not getting like Brandon said earlier terribly bored yeah. on, re- on regressing guys too much?
2: I think yeah. it's just a communication thing, right? Yeah, communication, kind of letting guys know, like, you don't need to tell them the long term plan, but like okay, these are the steps that we're going to take to get here. Like, guys want to – guy like, especially with it happens a lot more with like pro guys, too, is pro guys are like, okay, like, I know where I'm at. Now where are we going? Like, how am I going to – like, they come into the offseason. How am I going to get myself back up to midseason form or get to the point? And that's kind of what guys want to know. Guys want to know how they're going to get there, kind of the time – sometimes a time frame of, like, when they're going to get there and stuff like that. And so just guys knowing that there's a plan in place and that it's not just like, okay, this is what we're going to do this week, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do.
1: There's, a, there's other, there's plenty of other facilities that will just let you get under the bar and go get after. It, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. For what what we do personally, like this shows about push performance, right? It's we're not going to allow that. Like we're going to build you know build building blocks on how to get to where you want to be first and foremost. Uh-huh. You know, and we had a phone call yesterday, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, somebody called and said, "Hey, like that assessment was too easy." It Was an assessment, yeah. Like. You know what I mean, is this like that's not your, our workout and he goes, well, I've been working out and I don't want to lose what I'm doing, but he has a laundry list of not nitpicking things, but like actual structural issues going on. Right. And just motor patterns and biomechanic patterns and all that stuff. I've never seen him throw a baseball. Right. But imagine he's OK if he's here, you know, so we're not just allow him to take 30 steps back, but we're also going to allow him, get him to take 50 steps forward, you know, just based on what we saw and how we do it, you know. Um, same thing on the pitching side for you. Yeah. You know, you're not going to overhaul completely some of these mechanics if it works.
3: Yeah, it's like our, uh, my whole thing <coughs> is like getting getting you to move the best you possibly can within what you
1: have. 100%. That's like, I
3: mean, the whole conversation again was like, playing with these guys' strengths yep, and not well, know, just taking that into
1: mind. In our assessment process, our job is not only to find something wrong with the guy, but to find what they're yeah. really fucking good
2: that's at,
1: yeah. right? And then build off that. We take away what they're good at. If we stop working what they're good at, then we're going to make them a lesser athlete. Make them worse, yeah. You know? And that's, that's something we need to you know take into account too. When we're looking at lack of internal rotation, but a guy's throwing 100 for, for six years and never injured. Like what do we do? You know what I mean? Like how's that? How's that play? Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Broke, don't fucking fix. Them. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it's just
3: the attitude you gotta have sometimes. Hundred percent.
1: I mean, it's the big. So these
3: guys are just fucking freaks.
1: That. They're and allow them to compensate.
3: Yeah.
1: Like that's what they do best. That's why they throw the way they do.
3: It's what the best are, right? It's
1: but if you see alarming issues, them. fix them. Yeah. You know, and that's not like I've said earlier in the podcast, like. Toolbox needs to be so big as a coach that you're not just doing breathing, you're not just weightlifting, you're not just doing FRC, you're not just doing PRI, you're not doing all this, you know. You still need to get the athlete to do what you need to. And there's a thousand different ways to do it. Right? There's not always, there's not just one right way to do things.
3: Yeah, same thing on the fishing side. You know, like uh plyos are just a tool. yeah Like you don't, you don't just Prescribe every athlete the same set of drills,
1: and well, we have we have uh, a guy in we, that we work with in Colorado, one of our big league guys. His basketball view has gone up over the last two seasons working with us, and does not throw plyos. Yeah, I mean, some
3: guys don't like
1: it, but you got
3: to you got to give them what they
1: like. We'll encourage guys. Like, I'd say what ninety Joe ninety five percent of our guys throw plyos. Yeah. Absolutely, say. right? just I mean,
3: but it's not the end all be all no. of throwing training. No. Like you can you can. 100%. ingrain these motor patterns without plyos. 100%. Like you said, there's a tool in the toolbox.
1: Yep. I mean, that, that's. if we know what we're doing, it works. If not, good luck. <laughs> it's just the way it is.
3: And they get, plyos get a bad rap because there are so of people out there just blindly, blindly prescribing these drills. They have no idea about workload management or, you know, not taking training economy into effect. And...
1: Yeah. I mean, same thing on our end. Right. Yeah, cool. same thing
3: as putting someone under a bar
1: when they. Yeah. What's their What's their training age? Like, where are you at? Yeah. What are you doing? You know, you know, why are we bilateral? Uh, actually, doing a bilateral movement with guys that can't even perform to stand on one leg when ninety five percent of your life's on one leg. You know, there's no reason to. Taylor and I had that conversation last week, right, mm-hmm. Like, it's you know, we need to get away from things that guys always want to do. But we also give them what they want, you know, and that give them their cake. cake. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like looking at sport, single leg, looking at baseball, single leg, right? Everything you're doing is on single leg. Like if they can't stand on single legs, why are we getting getting them under a squat rack? Why are we letting them deadlift? Why are we doing these things? Right? Yeah, that's a
3: conversation Taylor and I had very shortly after I started here.
1: Yep so being able to adjust and know why i think the biggest thing for us is know why we're fixing it for sure and i think the way we're looking at things in a different lens and human movement it, it helps a lot right um everybody can help by just some basic breathing patterns or stability patterns or whatever it may be and then taking what they do on the mound and you know if they suck fix it if not oh well yeah. you know what i mean so I think that's a good spot to end it for sure today. Joe, you got anything else? I'm good. Yeah, Brandon? Send me
3: my fucking shirt, Joe. All good.
1: Yeah, send me the shirt. He's spoke me off. <laughs> Tay, Eric. Joe,
3: all good. Congratulations, EE Strength on his debut.
1: Yeah, he said something. said
3: something? God, it's
1: a miracle. All right, appreciate you guys. Leave us a review on, on podcasts. Come back next week. Come back.
3: Be here,
1: but, talking about yeah. mental mental performance next week. Oh, yeah. All right. That's good.